0: Welcome back to Scriptures with Mom and Terry. I'm the mom, Linda Weineger, and I'm in your family, so that's amazing. Okay, <laughs> um, we're reading Exodus chapters 14 to 20. Here we go. I need to tell you guys this sad but funny thing. So dad was telling me <clears throat> that we're not going to end up being able to read every chapter in the Old Testament during this year. And I was like, what? (laughs) Why not? (laughs) I should have known because I've done this challenge before. But before, I read actually all the standard works in one year. And so I was going through it pretty fast. So I just thought that I could or that we could. And so he said, if you think about it, we're only in the second book of the Old Testament. And there's lots of books. There's actually a thousand one hundred and eighty-four pages to be exact in our King James version, King James version of the Old Testament Bible. And <laughs> we would need to be on page three hundred and thirty-seven, which is roughly about Joshua. And Joshua is one, two, three, four more books ahead of us. So yeah, dad's right. We're not going to cover all of these. And remember when I was so naively trying to read like all the chapters? Yeah, well, apparently they skip some on purpose and we're going to be skipping some later. So we're just following the Come Follow Me reading. Now, I highly suggest you go and read the Bible cover to cover because it's amazing and you can find um scripture calculators everywhere to help you figure that out and even on the gospel living app you can put in your scriptures that you want to read and when you want to read them and it'll spit out like a um calculation of how many pages or how many chapters you need to read so anyways just wanted to share that sad but kind of funny news (laughs) about the scriptures we're reading <laughs> that we won't be getting through the entire old testament but that it's called the old testament because that is what we are studying i'm kind of one of those ocd type people who really like to and checklist type of person who likes to read a book from cover to cover so that i said that i read it now when i say that I mean, obviously, I haven't read that many books in my whole life, but when I do, and they're good books, then I, I like to be able to say, yeah, I read that, you know? And, I mean, if it's a bad book, don't even finish, don't even finish it and don't waste your time. But since it's the Bible and scriptures, I'm always like, I want to read from cover to cover. And so the fact that we're not going to be reading from cover to cover, the Old Testament, makes me kind of sad, because I thought for sure I would be doing that. So I'm going to try to figure out how to... Maybe work that into my my scripture reading or something because I'm currently reading a different book and it's lame. So I think I'm just gonna stop the book. Okay, so Exodus chapter 14, to, uh, chapters 14 to 17. It says, Remember what the Lord asked Abraham, is anything too hard for the Lord? That was in Genesis 18, 14. And remember what the angel told Mary. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Luke chapter one, verse 37. After Pharaoh allowed the Israelites to leave, Pharaoh hardened his heart and sent his powerful army after the Israelites again. The Lord will show that nothing is too hard for him as he had the Israelites pass through the Red Sea on dry ground. So, cool. Okay, um... Here we go. We have the scripture that we're focusing on, or not focusing on, what am I saying? This, just like the little spotlight scripture that they wanted us to read is, Now behold, this is the spirit of revelation. Behold, this is a spirit by which Moses brought the children of Israel through the Red Sea on dry ground. Doctrine and Covenants, section 8, verse 3. And then further study is the talk title, or talk by Elder Holland where he gave it at BYU, where he taught three lessons we can learn from the children of Israel at the Red Sea. And so go look it up. And I think you need to go find it called like, find it at like BYU speeches or something like that. Anyway, so this is gonna be a fun section to read. So Exodus chapter 14 is Israel goes out of Egypt. Israel passes through the Red Sea on dry ground. The Lord overthrows the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Here we go. This is, there's lots of stuff to unpack here. And the Lord spake unto Moses saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and end cap before Piharoth. Between Migdal and the sea over against Baal Zephon before it shall ye before it shall ye encamp by the sea, for Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land, the wilderness hath shut them in, <laughs> so that's kind of crazy, like it's not a good idea when you're um in the midst of a battle to like block yourself in by staying by the water like you don't want to be there that's like being surrounded now you're being surrounded by water on one side and the army of pharaoh on the other side like so that's not cool and a lot of people probably did not appreciate that because they didn't know what the lord was about to do um but sometimes isn't that like what we do you know sometimes we're like this is not good position that I'm in. I don't know why you brought me here, but normally, you know, you'd be like beforehand, you'd say, oh yeah, the Lord is delivering us. And he told us to move to this place. And then now you feel like you're trapped and you have no way out. And then you're questioning your revelation that you got in the first place. Right. And, but the Lord has plans and I really love what the follow him podcast said see if I can find um they said that uh, God has a God's eye view and I thought that was really cool like we don't know what God sees and we're basically blinded to it if we're not open to, um, if we're not willing to submit our will to him, right? Okay. Verse four. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart that the, that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this that we have lest, or that we have let Israel go from serving us? (laughs) Um, remember people died. Like, I guess it wasn't that sad for you anymore. Hello. And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Okay, remember? Hmm. Remember that Pharaoh was hardening its own heart. And he pursued after the children of Israel and the children of Israel went out with an high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamping by the sea beside... That word I cannot pronounce we need to have like a pronunciation like clicking on it, and the scriptures telling us how to pronounce it like I want to click it so that it tells me how I pronounce it, but I don't want it to read the whole thing anyways p before Baal zephron anyway, apparently this was like right by the ocean or right by the Red Sea, and so they had already said that they overtook them in camping by the sea. But they didn't overtake him. That's just what they thought was going to happen. Okay, so we have some commentary here. <gasps> oh, sorry. Moses led the Israelites out of, the, out of Egypt and was re- traveling towards their promised land, a land where their forefathers had lived over 400 years earlier. But instead... Uh, Wait, But instead of 70 of them, there were over 1 million. Their journeying would have been slow. Imagine a group of, of this size, including children, sick and elderly. In addition, they had their hands and belongings, or they had their herds and belongings. This would have been a slow journey, like for real it would have been. There were different routes they could take to get out of Egypt and into their promised land, and the Lord told them which route to take. See, this is where people would get kind of upset, like, what? Why did we get, why did we go this way? And now we're stuck, you know? He was involved in the details. The turn mentioned in verse 2 actually kept them within the bounds of Egypt and put them in the perfect position for a great miracle, but also perfect position for you to think that there was not going to be deliverance, right? Sometimes we do that. Um. One that would greatly test the faith of the Israelites. So the Israelites took the exact route the Lord told them to take because, of course, now they know the Lord and they're like, we've seen your miracles. Um, so they're going to be obedient, right? And he always obeyed. Or let's see. And that was because Moses was leading them and he always obeyed with exactness. Meanwhile, the Pharaoh had a change of heart again boy, this guy, he found out that his former slaves were going to be cornered in the wilderness. So Pharaoh gathered his powerful army and went after them and planned to overtake them while the Israelites were in the vulnerable position within, with the Red Sea in front of them, for they would not be able to flee. This is an army's dream scenario, usually. They would be able to gather them back up and force them back to Egypt. This is what the ancient Jewish historian Josephus said of Pharaoh's plan. Now, when the Egyptians had overtaken the Hebrews, they prepared to fight them. And by their multitude, they drove them into a narrow place for the number that pursued after them was 600 chariots with 50,000 horsemen and 200,000 footmen. All armed, they also seized on the passages by which they imagined the Hebrews might fly, shutting them up between inaccessible pres- Precipices and the sea, for there was on each side a ridge of mountains that the, that terminated at the sea, which were impassable by reason of their roughness and obstructured upstructure, their flight. So wherefore, they there pressed upon the Hebrews with their army, where the ridges of the mountains were closed with the sea, which army they placed at the chops of the mountains. That so they might deprive them of any passage into the plain. So these Egyptians were not dumb. They were trying to make sure that they covered every space available where they could escape. So pretty much they were like the Israelites were literally trapped. Okay, verse 10. And when Pharaoh drew nigh the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold the Egyptians marched after them and they were sore afraid and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord and they said unto Moses because there were no graves in Egypt hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness wherefore hast thou dealt with us um, dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt. Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Dude. Remember that when Nephi and his brethren and his family had to leave Jerusalem, that this is exactly what Laman and Lemuel said. And they were talking about, um, how they wish that their women would have been better if they would have died. <laughs> I remember this was a Hank Smith talk that he said. He kind of compared Nephi's attitude to the attitude of Laban and Lemuel, and it was hilarious. But this is so, para- like, this totally parallels um, the experience that they had. Although... Um. I don't think it was that, I don't think uh, Lehi's family was being persecuted by some armies at all, so maybe a little less scary, but still, Laman Lemuel thought it was just as dramatic, and of course, Nephi's always trying to be positive and stuff, but um, here, Moses says, and Moses said unto the people, fear ye not, stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. Um, The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Oh, like, that is awesome promises um, from the prophet, you know? And it's just really powerful. So the commentary here says there is no way that Pharaoh could have gathered an army as large as the number of the Israelites but through smaller in number er, but though smaller in number they were trained soldiers and the Israelites were unarmed and untrained so when the Israelites looked and saw them coming fear ran through them and they accused Moses of taking them to die in the wilderness and then they accused Moses of not listening to them that it would have been better for them to stay in Egypt This is the first time this is mentioned in the scriptures. It suggests that there may have been varying opinions of leaving or perhaps the fear triggered their need to blame someone else for the situation they were in. But the answer, of course, is no, it would not have been better, though the journey may not have been easy. Staying enslaved in Egypt would not be better. Trusting in the Lord and allowing him to lead them to their future. He has promised them would always be better. This is a moment when their faith is being tested. Moses knew to trust in the Lord. He had witnessed this in the wilderness. He had learned of it in the glorious visions recorded in Moses 1, and he witnessed it with each plague, right? Like so, he, like, he knows the Lord is going to provide. So with confidence, Moses, Moses can promise, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord shall fight for you. And I know that's true. Because he has fought for me. And he helps me fight. Okay, so of this moment when the Israelites saw the Egyptians coming, President Kimball said, No hope on earth for their liberation. What could save them now? The gloating armed forces of Egypt knew that Israel was trapped. Israel knew it. Only too well. But Moses, their inspired leader with a supreme faith, knew that God would not have them, have called them on this exodus only to have them destroyed. He knew God would provide the escape. He may not at this moment have known just how, but he trusted. Moses commanded his people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. which he will show to you today for the Egyptians whom you have seen today ye shall see them again no more forever the lord shall fight for you the mighty warriors pressed on hope must have long since died in the breasts of the timid israelish israelitish souls who knew not faith deserts and wilderness and the sea the uncrossable sea no boats no rafts nor time to construct them hopelessness fear despair must have gripped their hearts and then the miracle came so it's like the lord didn't bring us this far to only bring us this far right and also like um there's something when the when we were going to um the addiction stuff with Grandpa Charles that they kept talking about how people have to hit rock bottom before they want to make a change. And that's not necessarily true. That's just what they've seen, right? Um, You can make a change whenever you want through Jesus Christ. You can change from one day to the next, from one minute to the next. And it doesn't take you to hit rock bottom, but that 's that 's kind of the lie that you know we that we uh, say um, or that people believes, and that Satan has um, tricked us into thinking because that way uh, we have to go even that way we feel like we have to fall further, and we feel like we can 't fall further right but anyway so but this kind this kind of reminds me of that, where like the Israelites literally did hit the rock bottom or the last corner of the earth where now they are basically trapped all the way like there's no way out but this is exactly where the lord needed them to be to be able to perform that miracle if they had rafts if they would have had boats if they would have had all these things they would have thought that hey look good thing they had boats here you know they wouldn't have given the glory to god and they wouldn't have seen they wouldn't have noticed his miracle his miracle would have been hidden amongst the i don't know what to call it amongst the the lucky things that happen to them right and that's what that's what that's what happens these days where satan tries to cover up the miracles that the Lord is providing for us and disguising them with us being lucky or it being what a coincidence disguised as a coincidence, you know? And so the Lord didn't want any of that at all. And he wanted to, he wanted to show them, you know? And so I love, I love that, but I also know that it would have been scary to be the Israelites then and they, you know, basically had to hit that rock bottom that they say um, in, at a, in the AA meetings, you know, in order to feel like there was some feel like there was a change coming or something. But this was like different. This was like desperate measures, you know, like they didn't they really couldn't have delivered themselves out of this one. Okay, so verse 15. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) He's like, why are you crying to me? Like, don't you know we're going to deliver you? Don't you know? I mean, haven't I taught you this whole time? And what has the Lord taught him this whole time? With every plague, what does he do? He stretches out his hand and things happen, you know? The Lord makes things happen through him. So in verse 16 it says, but lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians. No, obviously. And they shall follow them and I will get me honor upon pharaoh and upon all his hosts upon his chariots and upon his horsemen and the egyptians oh excuse me and the egyptians shall know that i am the lord when i have gotten me honor upon pharaoh upon his chariots and upon his horsemen and the angel of the lord or er, the angel of god which went before the camp of israel removed and went behind them and the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them and it came be- and it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel and it was a cloud and darkness to them but it gave light by night to these so that the one came not near the other all the night okay so then here we've got some commentary even though the Israelites looked and saw a vast uncrossable sea the lord did, uh, did not he had a solution that was beyond their comprehensions beyond, beyond their comprehension To Moses, he said, lift up thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it. So this can't be new. You know, this was like the same thing he'd been telling them before with all the plagues. We can see in these verses that the Lord has a way of walking with and protecting Israel, even if they could not see it. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. It's true. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. When we can't see it, at least we know that God can see it, and He has a God's eye view. And I really like um President Uchtdorf said once in a general conference. He said, "The Lord knows something we don't know," <laughs> and I was like, "Oh wow, that's so true because He really does." And if I trust that He loves me, then I can trust Him completely, knowing that He has my best interests. And that he's not going to lead me astray, but that he's there to protect me always, even if I can't see it right away. Okay, and verse 21. And Moses stretched out his hand over the Red Sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind. All that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Okay, (sighs) I just want to say that has got to be the coolest thing that you could ever see and witness. Like, the only time I can come close to seeing something like that is when you go to, like, an aquarium and you pass through, like, the little hallways where they have water underneath. I mean, where they have, like, a tunnel un- underneath the The water where the animals are swimming. And then you can kind of see the animals swimming, right? Like, that's kind of what I envision. Like, it must have th- looked to them like a huge aquarium. Also, would have been really scary because you're, like, walking on the ocean floor which is a lot deeper than just the surface right the surface doesn't really have very many animals but the bottom of it has tons of animals and sharks and big animals anyway like i don't know what the red sea animals look like i could maybe go look it up you could maybe maybe go look at up. but i'm guessing it would be crazy big and and lots of them and one of the Pictures, maybe I already said this, but um, it's Faust's favorite picture in the MTC when we were touring. They had this picture of Moses parting the Red Sea and the Israelites starting to cross. And it was just so awesome. And, like, the way that this picture was just depicted is just beautiful. It's just so, like, beyond words, so like, I could look at it all day. And they made it a big mural. So, like, Faust and I only got to see the little version. And by Faust and I, I mean, like, the whole family. You know, we only got to see the small version. Because Dad remembers it, and Finn probably remembers, too. But I just looked it up yesterday, and they have a big, huge one. And I was like, now I'm really sad that I missed it, and I'm trying to figure out how to go back and go check it out. <laughs> and they have like a like chairs and um things you could sit sit by there dude like i was thinking i would go like i would practice portuguese you know so that i could learn the language uh before we get called on a mission but then i don't want to miss out on the opportunity to be at the mtc when your dad and i go on a mission so i'm going to have to stop practicing my my Portuguese and any kind of language just stop altogether so we could get called to like Germany so that I can spend the most time there at the MTC because those murals are so gorgeous, so cool. They're like from the floor to the ceiling and I'm not talking about eight foot ceilings. I'm talking about like in our basement. I'm talking about like 12, 15 foot ceilings and it's just so amazing. And you just feel like you're in the story. And it's so cool. And, like, these are pictures of Christ, too. So he looks, like, life size. So you like, go take a picture or, like, hang out in the same room that Christ is in. And he looks like he's hanging out with you. Anyway, it's just so amazing. I can't stop talking about how amazing it is. Anyway. Um, this would have been, like so like if none of the other plagues or whatever like convinced you I mean I guess signs don't convince people you know but and and we know because Laman Lemuel and the Pharaoh like they never they never were converted because of signs but if you're already converted and you're witnessing this ugh would have been so awesome and I really love how um in follow me follow him podcast they talk about how uh the rod the word rod is also um like in Egyptian it is also likened to the same word as word. So the rod and the word are both the same. Um, And they talk about how the waters were divided with the rod and the water came forth from a rock, from the Lord striking the rock and the water coming forth from the rock. Um, And so they basically just like, talked about the connection between the rod and the word and the water. And I just thought, like, it was so cool. They talked about First Nephi chapter 17, verses 26 and 29. And then they talked about Helaman chapter 3, verses 29 to 30. Um, and how you can't lay hold upon the word unless it's a rod. And so um, they talked about this, like, this imagery of the Savior holding out a rod to us and that we need to hold on to it. So instead of it being like this rod of iron that looks more like a railing, that it's more just the Savior extending out a rod to us. Um, Almost like I kind of picture it as being in like this dark pit and he's extending this rod out to us and we can climb out by holding fast to that rod and he can take us with him wherever he's going to go after he pulls us out of this darkness, right? And so I, th- I thought it was really cool imagery the way that they kind of explained everything and how the word and the rod are both the same word in Egyptian um, and how miracles are brought forth from the from words, you know, and the words that we that we hold fast to are the scriptures and how if we can hold fast to the scriptures, we can have miracles wrought in our lives. And anyway, I just I really loved all that, so go listen to that episode cuz it was really good. Okay, um, where am I at here? Okay, so the, and the okay, no, verse 23. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. <sighs> like, if, if you're on the good side if if you're the egyptians or if you're the israelites you're walking through that um red sea like with trepidation you're not like confidently doing it at least i wouldn't be i'd be a little bit scared and maybe a little bit confident after walking through like at least halfway but i don't think i would my my confidence would actually be good up until closer to the end <laughs> right so having the Egyptians go into this area, like whose idea was that? It had to be Pharaoh's. Like, don't go in there. They're on the not on our side. If they're not on our side, what do you think's gonna happen? Oh, what do you think's gonna happen to us if we go in after them? Like it like to me it's common sense. <laughs> Just you know, if something is happening for the other team, it's not going to be happening for my team, right? The blessings that the other team's getting is not going to be the same I'm going to get, okay? So anyway, like, that was just dumb on their part. Like, they should have known better. And in verse 24, and it came to pass that in the morning, watch, the Lord looked onto unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians and took off their chariot wheels that they drave them heavily so that the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. Yeah, finally. They're getting the clue. So... (laughs) commentary here. Then the miracle came. Moses stretched out his hand and the waters were divided so that the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and their left. Many people have sought to explain this phenomenon. Perhaps they say it was a shallow area, but then we remember that the scriptures say that the waters were a wall unto them. Also, of course, everyone's always trying to Explain away our, the Lord's miracles. See what I'm saying? Uh, but then, oh, uh, this was a miracle beyond man's powers, but not beyond God's. That great Egyptian army that was closing in on them could use their swords, but they could not part water. And then we must acknowledge that God even made the dry ground for the Israelites for a wet and muddy ground would have been impossible for that many people to pass through. Imagine what those Israelites must have experienced as they passed through those walls of water. I can't even, like, it would have been so cool. As the Egyptians were closing in on them, how many of them may have thought the solution was to return as slaves? (laughs) How many of them prepared to fight? How many of them were looking for ways to scale the mountains beside them? How many of them thought to build a quick raft? Oh, like, I'm sure that we would have, thought like i i think i have supplies in my backpack (laughs) god's ways were not their ways and god's thoughts were not their thoughts see isaiah 55 verse 8 the lord saw a sea that could part while they saw an impassable mass of water it is through stories like these that we get that we can begin to understand what it means that the lord is the deliverer isn't that so true isn't that so true and I think that the plagues are so powerful. But people wish away those kinds of things. And even Pharaoh didn't pay attention to them because he thought that his magicians could do pretty much the same thing. So the Lord was like, fine, I'll get something that, I, that can just be my own so that you'll know for sure. Um, some more commentary. This from President Howard W. Hunter. Ooh. Sorry. This great Jehovah, in whom we say we trust, and whose name we have taken upon us, is he who said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And he is also the one who said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear. Furthermore, it was he who parted the Red Sea, allowing the Israelites to pass through on dry ground. Certainly, oh, yeah, because the ground would have been muddy for sure, because it was wet, but it was dry ground, certainly, it should be no surprise that he could command a few elements acting up acting upon the sea of Galilee, and our faith should remind us that he can calm the troubled waters of our lives. Oh, I love that President howard w hunter october nineteen eighty four Elder Orson Pratt lived during the time that the saints were chased out of, the ja- out of Jackson County. It was heartbreaking for them, and they were constantly wondering how the land would be redeemed. Elder Pratt likened this miracle at the Red Sea to the redemption of Zion, another promised land, when he said, In the deliverance of Israel, the ancient times, the waters were divided and plagues sent forth upon the Egyptian nation. It would not surprise me at all if there should be a similar power manifested in the redemption of Zion. Journal of Discourses, 17, 289. Okay, so then the last commentary that I want to say is... One of my favorite songs, maybe you know, is Master the Tempest is Raging. And your dad loves water and... For me, I'm not a good swimmer. So the water to me represents um, a place that I can drown. And so I remember specifically when like after um, D-Day, I kept feeling like I was drowning for so long. And they had just called me into the primary to be a teacher. And the kids were learning, Master, the Tempest is Raging. The first time I sat in there listening to the kids singing that song, I couldn't stop crying. Because it felt like it was the exact song that, like, the cries that I was crying. Like, that I felt like I was drowning and I couldn't see my way out. I couldn't. I was, I was just going under and I didn't, didn't have any way of getting out. And I felt like I was being backed into the corner or, I mean, I, I did feel like I was drowning and I was loving the stories of Jesus at the time where he could calm the waters, where he calmed the waters for his disciples when he was sleeping in the boat, you know, and then I was loving how he can calm the waters in our lives. And, and then the time where he, um, reached into the water to save his disciple because he was so excited to go out of the boat and follow him but then he lost his focus and started drowning and and so so I really love that song so go look up the lyrics because this is beautiful and so to me Going through the Red Sea seems really scary. (laughs) But also really awesome. And when I was listening to that podcast, they said something that that I, I really liked. They said that he made the sea our path. And I never really thought of the ocean as being a path or the sea as being a path um, because it's more like just drowning. (laughs) But that was the way that they were delivered. They had to go through the sea to be delivered and to their promised land. And that the Lord was the one who managed the waters for them and i feel like that's true for me where the lord kept me from drowning and parted the sea for me so that i could pass on dry ground and so that i would be saved from from my afflictions from my torment from the attacks of the adversary it's so hard to explain because when people are getting physically chased it makes sense that you're scared no, and you're only being spiritually attacked it can be just as scary or scarier or worse but you can't see it Nobody can see it. Everybody thinks everything's normal. Anyways, and so that is why I need to do my warrior training because and teach the crush framework. Because it's those battles that you fight in the silent chambers of your heart that the Lord can deliver you from. Anyways, let's keep going. Okay, verse 26. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea that the waters may come again. Upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. (laughs) I don't know why they didn't see that coming, dude. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength. When the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it. And the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots, and the horsemen, and all the hosts of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them there remained not so much as one of them but the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea and the waters were a wall unto them in their on their right hand and on their left thus the lord saved israel that day out of the hand of the egyptians and israel saw the egyptians dead upon the seashore and israel saw that great work which the lord did upon the egyptians and the people feared the lord and delivered Er, and believed the Lord and his servant and his servant Moses. Oh wow. so what's really sad is that so many of the Lord's children had to die. Um, and, and it is hard to, to see that, right? because because it, it's people. You know, it's the the children's or the, the Lord's children and he loves all of us. And you might think, oh, well, he doesn't love the Egyptians. Well, of course he does. In fact, like for the Lord, life and death here upon the earth and moving when or when someone dies, it's not it's probably not as dramatic as it is for us. Remember, it's probably just like us living here and then us living somewhere else for him, you know, and so is just moving us from one room to the next is what I think Hank Smith said. And so for him, it's not as dramatic. And, but it just seems really dramatic for us because we don't get to see those people again in this life. And so, um, so he's not like necessarily being mean, but again, like the Egyptians didn't believe Even to that minute, they didn't believe. I don't know how they couldn't believe. They witnessed so many miracles that the Lord did for them, for the Israelites, and yet they still didn't believe, and they wanted to pursue after them when there was ocean all around you. Like, that's not smart. (laughs) You know how sometimes you make dumb choices, like you want to touch the hot... The, you want to put your hand in the oven thinking it's not going to burn but you're like i just need to flip over that chicken nugget you know but you know that going into the oven is a bad idea with your hand without it being covered by a uh oven mitt and yet you put your hand in there anyway and what do you think is going to happen well you're going to get burned hello, the chances of you getting burned is higher than the chances of you not getting burned. But what are you doing? You're trusting in your own wisdom. And so you're like, I won't get burned. And then of course you go to flip it and then like you touch it and it's hot and you just jerk your hand and then your hand touches the other side of the oven and then you're like, ah, I burned myself. And and it's like well yeah, of course you're going to burn yourself. That was a dumb idea. Like don't go after the Israelites when they're in the middle of the ocean and there's water walls on the sides of you. Like, I would have been one of those Egyptians that was like, uh uh-uh, I'm not going after them. And if Pharaoh was like, you better or you're going to die, I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to die anyway. So, no, I- I'll stay here. You just send whoever else is going to be dumb enough to go in there. You know, like, <laughs> I mean... And so but also the Lord is trying to keep his promise to the Israelites by delivering them. So he continues to keep his promises. And so in order for him to keep his promises, he has to deliver them. And sometimes that delivery might be at the expense of people who are not making good choices and who are not the believing people. And so, you know, I I hope that some of those Egyptians Realize what was going on, and they thought, You know, well, I think we need to convert. You know, maybe the that would be awesome. That would have been awesome. That would have been the kind of Egyptian I would have hoped to be. Because, I mean, I know that uh, we talk about them like as if they're so lame and dumb, but like they're obviously people just like us, and we would probably do the same. And we probably do do the same in our day. And the Lord's like, You're not any smarter than they were, you know, so it's like. <laughs> Anyway, so here's some more commentary okay, uh, verse, er, from the verses I just read. Okay. Then the miracle continued as the army that followed them into the sea drowned as the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the hosts of Pharaoh. And the Lord was delivering his covenant people. This was the covenant family who had great responsibilities so that the gospel could be taken to all the earth. But this army was seeking to enslave this family. The Egyptians had ignored the Lord's commands, obviously, they were super tercos, it's a Spanish word, <laughs> um, the Lord's commands and the Lord's powers, which he had dem- demonstrated many times, so it came to this, and this army could no longer pursue the Israelites any longer. Josephus explained it in this way. As soon, there, therefore, as ever the whole Egyptian army was within it, the sea flowed to its own pace and came down with a, tolerant, or, or with a torrent raised by storms of wind and encompassed the Egyptians. Showers of rain also came down from the sky and dreadful thunders and lightning with flashes of fire. Thunderbolts also were departed upon them, nor was there anything which used to be sent by God upon men as indications of his wrath, which did not happen at this time, for a dark and dismal night oppressed them. And thus did all these men perish, so that there was not one man left to be a messenger of this calamity to the rest of the Egyptians. Um, that's crazy. (laughs) Also, kind of sad that nobody survived that, right? Um... Okay, we're on Exodus chapter 15, and I gotta get Flora. Wow, okay, I thought I could get her, but I I thought I could hear her crying or saying something. Nope, she's still sleeping. It is 10.40 in the morning. She's still adjusting to our Uh, vacation Orlando time. I don't know, but I already have her eggs ready to go. Because I was like, we gotta get them ready. Okay, chapter 15. The children of Israel sing the song of Moses. They extol the Lord as a man of war and rejoice in their deliverance from Egypt. The waters of Marah are healed. The Lord promises to free Israel from the diseases of Egypt. Okay. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song and he is become my salvation. He is my God and I will prepare him an abomination or <laughs> I will prepare him an habitation my father's God and I will exalt exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths Have covered them, they sank into the bottom as a stone. Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. And in the greatness of Thine excellency, Thou hast overthrown them that rose up against Thee. Thou sentest forth Thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. And with the blast of Thy nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The floods stood upright as a heap, and the depths were Congealed in the heart of the sea. Um, that's so cool. Uh, that's the song of deliverance, and kind of also reminds me of the of that song that I just told you about, Master of Tempest is raging. But then also there's another song, um, the Lord is my, the Lord is my line, and then like kind of goes on. I don't know all the exact words, but this that's the song that, that it reminds me of. It's a really, like, awesome. I, I guess I should look it up <laughs> so that I can show it to you. Let's see. Okay, I found it. It is hymn number 89, and it is The Lord is My Light. The Lord is my light, then why should I fear? By day and by night, his presence is near. He is my salvation from sorrow and sin. This blessed assurance, this Spirit doth bring. The Lord is my light, He is my joy, my song. By day and by night, He heals, he, lead, he leads, He leads me along. The Lord is, and then verse 2 The Lord is my light, though clouds may arise. Faith stronger than sight looks up through the skies. Where Jesus forever in glory doth reign, then how can I ever in darkness remain? Then verse 3, the Lord is my light, the Lord is my strength. I know in his might I'll conquer at length. My weakness and mercy he covers with power. The walking by faith, and walking by faith I am blessed every hour. And then verse 4, the Lord is my light, all my all and in all. There is in his sight no darkness at all. He is my redeemer, my savior and king. With saints and with angels, his praises all sing. So this reminds me of the oh I can't remember this the talks but there's a couple talks that say that ask the question if or I think it's in the scriptures actually in the book of Mormon like if you felt the song of redeeming love do you feel so now and I can't remember where it is You guys will have to look it up, but I do like there's a few talks that ask the same question, that ask us that scripture question, that if we have that same, if we feel that conversion, if we feel the song of redeeming love, like the song of redeeming love is the song of deliverance. It's when the Lord has delivered you from your affliction, from your trial, from your. Torture from your bondage, you know. You want to sing and 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 so if you feel that, it's then do you feel so now? You know, and like you always want to feel that. You always want to be in that space of remembering um, that deliverance, and I, I know Nephi. Uh, was always really good at remembering the deliverance of, his, of the Israelites as if it were like his immediate family, even though it had happened long, long, long time ago. And that was the difference, you know, between Laman and Lemuel, who just thought it was a story, but didn't really liken it to, him, to themselves. Um, okay, verse 9. Says so the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. Oh, you know what? This is probably still the song of deliverance. <laughs> I think it's still verse 19. Thou didst blow with thy wind. The, the sea covered them. They sank as lead in the mighty waters. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like... The glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing fearful in praises, doing wonders, thou stretch out thy right hand, the earth swallowed them. Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. I'm more of like a rhyming kind of a person. Like I like the rhyming ones, <laughs> songs and Homes better, and I can't read this one with the right cadence, so I'm sorry, but here we go. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. Ooh, that actually reminds me of another song. Um. Okay, and then 14, the people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of Pal- Palestina. Then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed, and mighty men of Moab, trembling, shall take hold Upon them, all the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. Fear and dread shall fall upon them by the greatness of thine army. By the greatness of thine arm, they shall be as still as stone till thy people pass over, O Lord, till thy people pass over, which thou hast purchased, thou shalt bring them in and plant them. In the mountain of thine inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in, in the sanctuary, O Lord, with which thy hands have established, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horse of Pharaoh went in with his chariots and with his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought again the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. Okay, so some commentary. The poetry within these verses has been called the Song of Moses and reflects the joy and relief the Israelites experienced. They were now truly free and had no fear of being forced back into bondage with the cruel taskmasters who had ruled their lives for so many years. In verse 1, it says that they sang this song unto the Lord, for they recognized... That is how they were delivered. This song is a prayer of thanksgiving and a recognition of the Lord's power to deliver. Many scholars believe that Moses was the author of this song, since it has the characteristics of Egyptian poetry of that day. And Moses had been educated in the Egyptian palace. He would have been taught by the best teachers in Egypt. Notice in verses 14 to 17, the faith that the Israelites had to move forward. They knew that there were other nations. Other nations between them and their promised land. It was not just going to be a journey of walking, but there were many unknowns in the future. And verses 14 to 17 expressed faith that the Lord would help them be victorious. Okay, here's a teaching idea. As a family, discuss the relief, joy, and gratitude the Israelites must have felt at this time. Then read the song together, verses 1 to 19, and then ask questions like this. What is your favorite phrase in this song that is about the Lord? What line shows how grateful the Israelites were? What is a phrase that you think we need to remember in the day we live in? And can you choose a phrase from this song and draw it? Oh, I like that idea. Okay, so Exodus chapter 15 15, verses 20 and 21. And Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances and Miriam answered them sing ye to the Lord for he hath triumphed gloriously the horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea okay so says that Moses's sister was Miriam and she was a sister who watched over Moses when he was found in the ark upon the river Here we see that she was called a prophetess and led other women in singing and dancing to the Lord. This is what the guide to the scriptures says of a prophetess, a woman who has received a testimony of Jesus and enjoys the spirit of revelation. A prophetess does not hold the priesthood or its keys, though only a few women in the scriptures are called prophetesses. Many prophesied, such as Rebecca, Hannah, Elizabeth, and Mary. Miriam was called a prophetess Exodus 15 verse 20 Deborah was called a prophetess Judges 4 verse 4 Hulda was called a prophetess 2nd Kings 22 verse 14 Anna was called a prophetess Luke chapter 2 verse 36 Brigham Young taught So, live day by day that your lives will be like an even spun thread. Let there be no lying, no backbiting, no evil, but let the whole life of every man and woman tend to good. Then, oh man, I need to blow my nose. Then, when they have their failings, they will forgive each other and will find the words of the Savior to be true, that His Spirit will be in them as a well of living water springing up into everlasting life. Will they become prophet will they become prophets? Yes, and prophetesses. President Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, 5, 166. Okay, one second. Okay, I had to blow my nose, and now Flora is officially awake. So verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Verse 23, and when they came to mar to Mara, they "'Could not drink of the waters of Marah, "'for they are were bitter. "'Therefore the name of it was called Marah. "'And the people murmured against Moses, saying, "'What shall we drink?' "'No, oh, great. "'Let's not murmur at everything.' "'And he cried unto the Lord, "'and the Lord showed him a tree, "'which when he had cast into the waters, "'the waters were made sweet. "'There he made for them a statue "'and, on, and an ordinance, "'and there he proved them.' and said if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the lord thy god and will do that which is right in this in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes i will put none of these diseases upon thee which i have brought upon the egyptians for i am the lord that healeth thee and they came to elim where where were 12 wells of water and three score and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. Ooh, well, that sounds like paradise. Okay, so the last quote for right now it says, Now the Israelites continued on their journey, and it was not going to be easy. They were three days into the wilderness and found that there was no drinkable water. There was water, but the water was dirty, and the people murmured against Moses. Even after all the miracles, their inclination was to murmur but the lord did not get angry at their murmuring but instead provided a miracle he then led them to a land with 12 wells of water again he showed them that he could he could and would provide for them the lord used this moment to teach them how to inquire of the lord and receive an answer the pattern for revelation is 1 to diligently hearken to the voice of the lord and 2 do that which is right in his sight president nelson put it this way when we pray we should not presume to give counsel, but, give, but should inquire of the Lord and hearken to his counsel. That was from General Conference, April 2003. Okay, some questions to ponder. If you were to write a song unto the Lord, what would it be about? Oh, mine would be about the, the master of the tempest is raging. Um, it would also be about the sea. <laughs> what can you do to become a prophet or prophetess? Um, I think a lot of people, when they share their testimony, that's what they're doing. And where whether they share it in their home or in, over the pulpit or over a podcast or over a blog or whatever, I think that um, whenever we share our testimony, we are prophesying. And we can be that prophetess for the Lord and bring souls unto him that way. Okay, and then what do you think it means to diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord? Ooh. That one's a little bit harder because it's, well, I I don't want to say like easy, but it's easier to hearken to the voice of the Lord when you know what the Lord's voice sounds like. And we know, and it's easy to hearken to those, to the voice of the Lord that's in scripture or that we see written out right like we know we shouldn't kill and we know we need to pay tithing and we know you know it's easy to hearken to those things um but i think it's harder to hearken to the voice the voice of the lord if we're not continually seeking to hear his voice if we don't continually seek to hear him we're not going to recognize his voice when it comes and then we can't hearken to a voice that we don't recognize um consistently anyways And so be in a position to always be able to hear him. Make yourself available so that he can speak to you. And what did we say? How did we say that the Lord stretches out his hand to us? Is through his rod, through the words that he speaks. And as we are in the scriptures, he can speak to us that way. And then the spirit speaks to us. And that's how we learn. And we need to keep writing also. All right, I got to go, Flora. Okay, we're back. And we are on Exodus chapter 16. Um, one and a half months has now passed since chapter 15, um, says, Israel murmurs for want of bread and lusts for the flesh pots of Egypt. The Lord rains bread from heaven and sends quail for meat. Israel is given manna each day except the Sabbath for 40 years. Okay, here we go. And they took their journey from Elam and all the congregation of the children of Israel came into the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim or Elim and Sinai, Sin, Sinai, Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. So that was the the one and a half months, and the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the children of Israel said unto them, Would God, would to God, we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Yeah, I'm sure that's totally what Moses was hoping for. <laughs> yeah, that's all I wanted to do. I wanted to bring you guys out here. You know, I didn't just want to create all these miracles. I just wanted to go through like super hard trials for myself so that and muster up all the courage I could get to talk to Pharaoh and deliver you guys out from Egypt so that we could die here. Like, really guys? (laughs) Oh man, I love that. Um, So, the Israelites had been in the wilderness for one and a half months and they were hungry. Excuse me. They were free, but they were also living in ways they had never lived before, right? Because they didn't camp the way that um. They used to camp, right? Because back before um, when it was, like, Joseph's time, um, his dad would camp, you know. Uh, Jacob or Israel would camp, and they knew how to do that. But these peeps were used to, like, the Egyptian um, ways. And even though they were their slaves, they still lived in, like... A way that was nice and not as, uh, I don't want to say the word savage, but, like, (laughs) but, like, in the wilderness, like, you have to kill your own things, you have to do the, you know, but, like, in Egypt, it was a little bit more, um, established place and a more, uh, developed country, and so they didn't have to do all the things that they had to do now, um, And so, as the Israelites were hungry in the wilderness, they remembered the good things of Egypt, like the bread and the flesh pots. Flesh pots were actually vessels used for cooking meat. And they were not remembering, of course, the bondage that came with the flesh pots, but just remembering the food. So, their hunger caused them to remember and long for that kind of food. Oh, And probably for, like, their awesome you know, developed country, because when you're living in tents, that's not very developed. Um, But there were flesh pots in their future. Uh, They could have, they could have them again in their promised land, but they needed to keep moving forward and walking in faith. Going back to Egypt would never be better, right? Because then they were going to be slaves again, but they just didn't remember that. So President George Buchanan referenced these flesh pots in verse three, when he taught this in his journal discourses. K. Okay. he says, We have been told with the greatest, greatest plainness, the mind and will of God concerning us and the objects that he has had in view in gathering us out and placing us in the position which we occupy. But like the Israelites of old, the flesh pots of Egypt have been sweet to us. The leeks and the onions of Babylon we have hankered after we have lusted lusted after these things we have lusted after that which god has commanded us to forsake and we have become emancipated from the love of babylon it has been in our hearts it has influenced us in our actions it has governed us in our policy and it has been great and it has been the great labor of the leaders of this church to endeavor to uproot this accursed lust that has been in the hearts of those who are called latter-day saints for that which they have been commanded to forsake god has commanded us to forsake babylon he has called us out from babylon but though we have come out from babylon we have brought to great to a great extent babylon with us The love of Babylon, the love that which God abhors and which he commands us to forsake, we have brought it with us. And to a great extent, we cherish it. And this is the great obstacle in the way of building up Zion. Wow. End quote. Amazing. Okay, it didn't say wow. I said wow. (laughs) Okay, verse four. But it's so true, right? Like we just, we have our own lusts and we lust after certain things and after the lord brings us out of certain things certain trials certain tribulations (sighs) excuse me then somehow we long after those things um just an example of that we moved from our old house into a bigger house and from small space into a lot more space. We were living in our Pleasant Grove house and the top half we were living in. So the basement was actually, we were renting it out to whoever wanted to rent out our house, or our basement, and which was very popular actually and everybody wanted to rent it. Anyway, so we were able to rent out the basement while we were living in the first and second floor of the home. And But we didn't have certain freedoms that we now enjoy, like our kids can run around and do whatever they want, and we don't have to yell at them to be quiet. We used to have to do that all the time, and we were able to have a neighborhood with friends, you know, um, who would come and hang out with the boys and just you know, a good ward that we lived in. And then, um, I loved our kitchen the way that certain cabinets had. And I loved our trash can that pulled out. It was so easy to do certain things. And our bathroom was awesome. It had a private little spot in there so that it didn't stink up the whole bathroom when you went potty and had like a private room for the toilet. Anyway, like And then there's this house, which is bigger, has a huge yard. Oh, and we had an HOA in our other home, and so we didn't need to do a bunch of yard work. Anyway, so... So, yeah, we have a bigger yard. We have so much more space here. We have um, a bigger kitchen. We have... uh, bigger island we have all these things are nicer and sometimes I find myself (laughs) wishing we were back at our old house because we had all this other stuff there I had my custom kitchen that I had picked out everything individually and the and same thing with our bookcases in one of uh, in the library room, the office room, you know, it had such nice built-in bookcases Whereas this home, we don't have any built-in bookcases anywhere. And, you know, we had a nice sized pantry in our kitchen. And this one has somehow this pantry that is just shelves and <laughs> you can't, there's not like a place to walk in. Anyway. So we, you know, the Lord delivered us from that place because it was a very, Uh, there had, we had experienced a lot of pain there and a lot of, um, healing needed to be done. And this home has provided that healing for, like has continued to provide healing for us. And whereas the other home felt like bondage, um, this home doesn't feel that way. It feels a lot, uh, more healing um, and more peaceful and it feels like I have a fortress here and so although I miss not having any yard work (laughs) and not having to worry about yelling at the kids and And although um, we have more to clean here and, you know, we have to do more things, although I miss those some of those luxuries that we enjoyed over there, which we were more in bondage there than we are here. Obviously, I feel a lot like I said, I feel like we're free here and we're in a fortress and, and, and although I do feel those things here, sometimes I do think about the old house and how I wish I had my old cabinets back, you know, and those kind of things. Um, But those are the things that are not important to my uh, salvation and that are not important to my spirit, spiritual well-being. And... I'm so grateful that we get to live here. And it's nice to be reminded of it. Sometimes, you know, especially through the scriptures. And I'm so grateful that we were able to move here. It was such a fast move. And uh, dad didn't even think we could move here. Because it was out of our price range. And it was going to be a second home. And anyways, it was... The best thing that ever could happen to our family, because this is where we experienced COVID. And had we experienced COVID in our old home, we would have gone literally nuts and crazy. And anyway, um, the Lord knows what we need if we act and... And had had we had plenty, had we had more time to actually think of stuff, we literally saw the house and made an offer the same day. Had we had more time to think about it, I would have not said yes. And had I not prayed, and had we not prayed about it, we would not have made the offer. But it felt so good to to do this. And yes, this house is not... The perfect house for, um, for certain things that we wanted to do, but those aren't the the important things that the Lord needed uh, to happen in our lives, and that we needed to have happen in our lives, and that the Lord helped us to accomplish here. So I am so grateful that we heeded that prompting, and that we did not get, um, get too distracted by the the worldly things and that we decided to make a move and, and come here and make that offer and come here. Okay. Um, verse four, uh, then said the Lord unto Moses, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them where, whether they will walk in my law or no, and it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. And Moses and Aaron said unto all the children of Israel at at even, then ye shall know that the Lord hath brought you out from the land of Egypt. Well, also, I think it's so merciful how the Lord, instead of being like, stop complaining, you know, Um, but instead was like, oh, you know what? Yeah, I will rain bread from heaven for you like he was compassionate and he understood and and helped them out you know he didn't yell at them and he didn't but he was like this is gonna be this will help you remember you know that i brought you out from egypt um and so in the morning verse seven and in the morning then ye shall see the glory of the lord for that he heareth your murmurings against the lord and what we and what are we that ye murmur against us and moses said this shall be when the lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat and in the morning bread to the full for that the lord heareth your murmurings which ye murmur against him and what are we your murmurings are not against us but against the lord and that's going to be hard too because you know Moses is the mouthpiece, Moses and Aaron are the mouthpieces for the Lord, and so people take things out on them, it's kind of like when I take things, like when technology does not work for me, I usually blame dad. <laughs> well, first I blame Satan, because he's the worst, and then, and then I say, and then I ask dad, why is it not working right, you know, and, but he always helps me, but it's because he always helps me that <laughs> That I complain to him. So how is that possible that the person that helps us the most we complain about or complain to, right? That's the Lord. The Lord, he, we complain to the Lord because he's the one who blesses us. So we think he's the one who's cursing us. <laughs> how is that even, how does that even work? No, he doesn't bless and curse us. He only blesses us and We sometimes curse ourselves or, you know, obviously other people can curse us because they have free agency. And um, then there's Satan, too, who's always foiling our our plans. Um, Okay, Uh, let's see. Verse nine. And Moses spake unto Aaron, say, say unto all the congregation. Of the children of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he hath heard your murmurings. And it came to pass, as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. Speak unto them, saying, At even ye shall eat flesh, and in the morning ye shall be filled. With bread, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. And it came to pass that at even the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay round about the host. And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay a small round thing, as small as the hoar frost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna, for they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. Gather it, gather of it every man according to his eating, an omer for every man according to the number of your persons. Take ye every man for them which are in his tents. And the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. Okay. The Lord had a solution for their hunger. And again, it would not have been something they would have imagined. They may have imagined something like herds of animals coming through them (laughs) or finding trees full of fruit. But instead the Lord said, I will rain bread from heaven for you. Something totally unexpected and heaven sent, like literally it's heaven sent. And like bread takes time to make. And so I feel like the Lord was Blessing them with time, right? Because um, if he would have just blessed them with fruit trees, you know, or animal like straight up huge animals, then they would have had to invest time in cooking them or in making them, you know, like he's not like like let me give you some flour, let me give you some butter, some oil, some yeast, some all these things, you know, and then you can make bread all by yourself. No. Instead he was like, I'm gonna rain bread from heaven for you. So it was like literally he was saving them time. Um because he it's like delivering crust club to our home, you know? That's like what he was doing. <laughs> because it's already made. All they had to do was maybe heat it up. Um so The bread from heaven came with a strict set of guidelines, though. So notice how the Lord used this to teach the Israelites about the importance of obedience. These Israelites had been in bondage in Egypt. So notice what Elder Joseph B. Worthland said. The ideologies of worship and life of the Egyptians became a part of the practices and lives of the children of Israel. Consequently, the Lord delivered them, as he said, from the flesh pots of the Egyptians and gave them 40 years of preparation based upon the Ten Commandments before permitting them to enter the land of their inheritance, a repentant and chastened chastened people. Um, This is from October 1943, General Conference. So, yeah, I mean, it takes years to kind of do away with our old habits, right? And create new habits. And, you know, maybe sometimes we're so hard on ourselves nowadays um, and we wish that like our new habits could be like implemented quickly, you know, and sometimes we just need to have patience with ourselves and realize some things take a little bit more time. And even when we're learning to create new habits on top of anchor habits and, or tiny habits, um, on top of other habits, then, you know, like, or it's going to still take time and we're not going to be perfect at it right away, you know? And so I love that That He kind of points that out. And then this understanding can help us too. To see that the journey to the promised land was not all about the miles they needed to walk, but the people they needed to become. So the Lord would give them miracles, instruction, commandments, and the law of Moses to help them grow and become the covenant people they were meant to become. With the manna, they were given the instruction to gather the bread that they needed for their family every day. But on the sixth day, they should gather twice as much so that they could rest on the Sabbath. Or like save time because i mean remember rest on the sabbath doesn't necessarily mean like always resting but rest from their labors and if he's feeding them literally bread then they don't and i know but people back in the day always had to make bread like every day or whatever but like they would the lord was saving them time they didn't have to spend time making the bread because it was already made And so that would give them time to do what? To worship, right? So Moses told the Israelites of the miraculous bread that was going to come to them and then then taught them this important principle, your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. It is the Lord that hath brought them here, there. And when the murmur, when they murmured against Moses and Aaron, the Lord heard these, those murmurings. And I think, you know, I think a little bit, and this is just mom, you know, thinking, um, I think the Lord was helping them also because, uh, Moses was willing to, to, to be his mouthpiece with Aaron, you know, like, and, and sometimes I feel like when you're called to serve, um, for example, like in primary, you know, as a primary president or as a Relief Society president or as a young women's president, when you're called to be a leader of a group of people and you're trying to help them and bless them, when they murmur against you, the Lord kind of shows compassion towards you by blessing them, right? And and I love that because you're trying so hard for them and, and you just wish so many blessings for them that... The Lord has compassion and the, that you literally can't do everything, you know, because as a leader, you can't do everything, even though you really want to. And so the Lord was was not just showing compassion towards the people, but specifically to Moses and Aaron, too, because of the fact that they were trying so hard to be obedient and and they were getting yelled at and murmured about and talked about behind their back and and that's that happened to me when I was serving in young women's um people were talking about me behind my back which were my which were my counselors and and that was not nice you know and they were leaders in young women and and I was just grateful you know that I didn't I wasn't wrapped up in all that but that like the Lord could still bless the girls for me because I couldn't do everything, even though I really wanted to, and even though I was literally trying, but anyways, I know that the Lord was showing Moses and Aaron compassion through blessing the people that he has been that He had asked them to serve and and so just be faithful as a leader. Be faithful in your calling and, and, and magnify your calling the best way you can and the Lord will, will provide the rest. The Lord will provide the rest just like he's providing this manna for his people here. And it says that that, that night quails came and covered the camp and then the next morning there lay a small round thing and it was the, the manna when they, um, the word manna, means, what is it? Or what is this? <laughs> and Moses said, this is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. Now, I bet it tasted amazing. You know what those, I kind of picture the little, uh, what is it? I kind of picture things like the almond, the the almond crackers that we like, the circle almond crackers. That's kind of what I picture, <laughs> which are good because they also have protein. Okay, and there del- I love crunchy stuff. So maybe there was crunchy stuff, and maybe there was non crunchy stuff for people who didn't like crunch. But I don't know, like. Um. So verse eighteen, and when they did meet or sorry and when they did did meet it with an omer he that gathered much had nothing over and he that gathered little had no lack and they gathered every man according to his eating and moses said let no man leave of it till the morning so no leftovers the lord does not like leftovers that's interesting that's another kind of pattern that i'm seeing okay notwithstanding They hearkened not unto Moses, but some of them left of it until the morning and it bred worms and stink. And Moses was wroth with them. (laughs) And they gathered it every morning, every man, according to his eating. And when the sun waxed hot, it melted. Oh, that's crazy. I mean, it would be nice because then it would be like mounds of extra junk, you know, just food. That'd be bad to have like, rotten food piles yeah okay so it says the israelites were learning of the importance of obedience the lord had said behold i will rain bread um but then he said that i may prove them whether whether they will walk in my law or no moses had told the israelites in verse 19 that to uh let no man leave of it till the morning so they were just to gather what they needed to and and eat of it that same day. But they hearkened not unto Moses, and some of them left it until morning. And then the bread wor- and then it bred worms and stink. So like they were learning, like oh, if I do this, then this bad thing's gonna happen. Things are gonna go bad, dude. But I really like leftovers. It saves me time. And so I can see why they thought that they needed to leave some for the boarding. But that also showed that they didn't trust the Lord if they left stuff for the morning, right? It meant like that they weren't trusting the Lord could provide for them in the next day, but the, only the day up. So I think it's just helping to show a little bit more faith. The manna they had been given was pure and good, but once they used it outside the means that God intended it, it became corrupted. Perhaps they didn't believe there would be more tomorrow and didn't truly trust that God would care for them the day after Wait, care for them day after day. Imagine how this experience day after day, week after week, and month after month would have helped them understand that God's word must be obeyed with exactness. How many of them would learn to check their baskets and make sure each night that the manna was gone? Imagine how this would have helped them understand that going beyond God's laws would bring corruption into our lives. Imagine how this would have helped them learn to trust in the Lord. Yep, exactly. In April 1981, General Conference Elder Ted E. Brewerton taught of this wise statement from President N. Eldon Tanner, who was the first counselor of the first presidency. So they were like quoting, he's quoting him. When President Tanner returned from presiding over the European missions, he was asked what, in his opinion, was the most important attribute of a successful individual or missionary. After a short pause, pondering the implication of such a question, he spoke one word, obedience. If we do or if we do not obey, the power to obey is lessened. Our capability to recognize good is weakened, as the Lord says in section 93. And that wicked one cometh and taketh away light and truth through disobedience. Again, that's April 1981 General Conference. That's awesome quote. That is an awesome quote. <laughs> Okay, verse 22, and it came to pass, my battery's running out, and it came to pass that on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for one man, and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. And he said unto them, this is what that which the Lord hath said tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which ye will bake today, and seethe that ye will seethe, and that which remaineth over lay up for you to be kept until morning. And they laid up till the morning as Moses bade, and it did not stink. Neither was there any worm th- therein. And okay, so this was like super exact, right? Like you're allowed to do it on these day on Sunday, but not the rest of the days. That's super precise. That's like exact obedience. They needed to be exactly obedient for this miracle to work. And Moses said, Eat that day. Wait, uh and Moses said, eat that today, for today is the Sabbath unto the Lord. Today ye shall not find it in the field. Six days ye shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, in it there shall be none. And it came to pass, hold on, wait, yeah, and it came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day for the to gather, and they found none. And the Lord said unto Moses, how long refuse ye to keep my commandments and my laws? See for that the Lord hath given you the Sabbath, therefore he giveth you on the sixth day the bread of two days. Abide ye every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. And the house of Israel called the name thereof manna. And it was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. So it was a sweet. So it was kind of sweet. And Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord commandeth, fill an omer of it to to be kept for your generations that ye, wait, that they may see the bread wherewith I have fed you in the wilderness when I brought you forth from the land of Egypt. And Moses said unto Aaron, take a pot and put an omer full of manna therein and lay it up before the Lord to keep it for your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. And the children of Israel did eat manna 40 years until they came to a land inhabited. Inhabited, They did eat manna, yet until they came unto the borders of the land of Canaan. Now an Omer is a tenth part of an ephat. Okay, so something that I'm just thinking about is, okay, they had to eat the same thing every day. But it also sounds like they were making things with it. Um, And it's too bad they didn't have Pinterest at the time, you know what I mean? Because that's where I get all my ideas and stuff for food and for... um, stuff to make and everything like that. But like, (laughs) I bet people were like, what did you make with it yesterday? And how did you use it? And like, I could just see the women, you know, Relief Society, of course, um, having like teaching each other and having classes like, okay, this is how I make this kind of dessert for, you know, using the manna. And this is how I make this. And like, they had to be specific instructions with what they... Uh, made because they couldn't gather more on certain days, and only on Saturday night where they or Saturday were they able to gather for Sunday. And so maybe those days they were able to make like those special breads that had like leftovers. Um, uh, so that they didn't have to work on Sunday to make food, or you know, like I just kind of am picturing different things, and I know nothing about the culture of um Jewish uh culture or people um who. who still obey the law of Moses, I guess, like I know, um, because a lot of them don't believe that Christ came. And so they still obey and keep those commandments with exactness and, and they still, you know, um, have the Passover meal. Um, and they still do those things because, um, that's just what, that's what they believe. And, and so, like because I don't know that culture at all um or that um those practices, but I'm just picturing like this is where it started um, like they needed to learn to obey Moses exactly and um because otherwise there would not be the blessings that came from it, and so it makes sense that these people are super um I don't know, like obedient, because that's how they've been trained. Um, And that's what the Lord wanted from them. He was by doing these things, he was training them, a small little habit through tiny habits, you know, he was training them to trust in him. And so, like, I think that's really cool, uh, that they were able to get to a point where they were being exactly obedient um so that they could get those blessings continue to get those blessings okay um verse so i'm going to read just commentary and i think my battery's going to be running out all the way up and then i'll read seven chapter 17 in a minute okay there was one exception to the direction to only gather enough for one day the lord had directed that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily on that on the day before the sabbath moses directed them that were to prepare their manna as they typically did. But this time the leftover would be kept so they could, so they would not need to gather manna on the Sabbath. And in fact, there would not be any given on the Sabbath either. So they could rest. Um, Verse 23, we can see that the manna could be baked and seethed. So the manna was not just eaten but could be prepared, right? Because like if you're going to eat this for 40 years, you're trying to get fancy with the spices, you know? And so the obedience of many was tested on that first Sabbath as some went out to gather manna despite what Moses had said and they found none. Verse 31 explains more of what the manna was, more of what the manna was like. We learned that it was like coriander seed, white, and it tasted like wafers made with honey. In verse 14, we learned that it looked like hoarfrost. In verse 33, Moses directed Aaron to take a pot, put manna in it and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for the generations. That pot of manna was miraculously preserved, according to the Hebrews, in the Ark of the Covenant that these Israelites eventually built, containing three things, a golden pot with manna, Aaron's rod, and the tablets Moses brought from Sinai. So something uh, fun teaching idea. Do you have a ceiling fan in your home? Clean the dust off and lay some pieces of graham crackers on on the top. Then as your children learn about the Lord raining bread from heaven, turn the fan on low and the graham crackers will come raining down from your ceiling. Oh, that's cute. That's a good idea. But uh, yeah, first clean the fan, <laughs> and then put the graham crackers. Um, okay, we're going to read Exodus chapter 17. Um, but first I need to go plug this in. So something that dad told me yesterday that I missed out on in Sunday school was I guess a comment from somebody and um, I really liked the comment and he said he really liked the comment so he shared it with me so that's why I'm going to share it with you because I really like the comment that they made and um, this just goes to show you that you also it's good to talk about what we learn at church because it might help somebody else right but um, or what we learn at church to talk about at home because then it helps other people. So anyway, the comment was that the Israelites, it didn't matter if the people were super righteous, making awesome choices in their lives or not, but that they were obedient to the law or the commandment that had just Come out, not necessarily like that had just been said, but for example, I guess they said that you could have been a super wicked person, but if you had the blood of the lamb on your doorframe, the angel of death would not kill anybody in your home. And it wasn't based on worthiness but it was based off obedience. And I was like thinking about that and I'm like, that I never even noticed that. You know, I think that's amazing how the Lord could keep his promise because they were being obedient to that specific commandment. So if you're commanded to do something and you do that thing, then, you are protected, and it kind of reminds me of what Sister Patty Mauer would always say in our presidency meetings. And whenever she would, this was when um, I was Relief Society president. She was awesome. She would say that uh, she would always quote Doctrine and Covenants, and it says, um, "It's the Lord talking." He says, "When I am bound, when ye do what I say, but when ye do not what I say, ye have no promise." And I love that. That is what they were doing here. You could have been super wicked, not reading your scriptures. Okay, I don't think that not reading your scriptures is being super wicked. I'm just saying, like, I'm separating the two. You could have been super wicked, comma, not reading your scriptures, comma, not praying, comma, not um, doing those things that you know you were supposed to be doing, comma, but you chose to put the blood of the lamb and follow those specific instructions on your doorframe, you were going to be protected because that is what the Lord does. And I love that, um, that we can learn from the Lord. Like he's trying to say like, look, I will protect you. Just be obedient and I will protect you and I will deliver you. Right. And so if he was able to deliver, and I think it's awesome that these people Um, would be able to exercise their faith and test this. This is kind of an experiment upon the word where you would test the Lord's promise by doing this, right? Even if you weren't being obedient to all the other uh, commandments, but you could test the Lord on this one thing and you could see for yourself if it worked, if you were getting the blessing that came with that and they could see that they were being blessed and how that could actually help the rest of their faith journey in knowing like, hey, if the Lord actually was keeping his promise here and helping, you know, to protect us here and delivering us here, then he could do more if we allowed him to do more in our lives. Right. And so I love, I love, I love that thought. You know, I love, I love that comment because it kind of helps put things into perspective. Like, hey, you you might not be paying tithing right now, but you are obeying the word of wisdom and you're healthy and, you know, so what could that mean? Well, that might mean that the Lord is protecting you because that when you obey the word of wisdom, you are protected and you are delivered from all of those addiction things that could happen when you are not being obedient to the word of wisdom, so you would be blessed. And so because you're being blessed here in that area, maybe if I pay tithing, I might be blessed there and I might receive those things that I've been wanting, or I might be able to progress in a way that will bless my life, you know? Like just I think it's awesome to be able to think it, of it that way. Not necessarily like I'm not advocating for you know, if you're wanting a big house and you want more money like that there's a specific blessing or that there's a specific thing that you're supposed to do to do that. Because obviously sometimes the Lord doesn't bless us with things that we want. But there are specific blessings um, reserve for specific commandments. And therefore, if we are obedient, exactly obedient, we can witness and see those miracles in our lives, just like the people in Moses's time, just like those Israelites. And so anyway, that is something that's super awesome. And I love that. And you don't have to be perfect at everything at the same time or, and you don't have to be doing everything um super uh awesomely and you just need to obey the one thing and the lord can help you with that one thing and then you can move on to testing the lord not necessarily testing him because that's bad you know you're not supposed to like test the lord like that but it's called experiment upon the word right and If this, if you do this, then he can bless you. You know, the if then statement. I really like that talk um, in general conference. The, um, I can't remember who it was, but you look it up. Okay, so in Exodus chapter 17, we are learning Israel murmurs for want of water. So, you know, because if we're going to murmur, we got to murmur about everything. Moses smites a rock in Horeb and water gushes forth. Aaron and Hur uphold Moses' hands so that Joshua prevails against Amalek. Okay, so here we go. Verse 1. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink, wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, "Give us water that we may drink and Moses said unto them, "Why chide ye with me? Wherefore ye tempt the do wherefore do ye tempt the Lord?" And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, "Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? Okay, I see a pattern they <laughs> They first are like, you just brought us out of Egypt to kill us for hunger. And then now they're like, you just brought us out of Egypt to kill us for, for to make us thirsty from lack of drinking and high dehydration. You know, um, something that I have noticed in my warrior woman journey here is that Satan has patterns in the way that he gets us to murmur or gets us to be discouraged or tortures us. And the pattern is he uses the same lines over and over again. And it's just really repetitive. Like it's not it, it's not problem solving, it's not um, it doesn't uplift you. It doesn't it, it doesn't progress you anywhere. What it is is it just gives you the same uh, thing and it just he just repeats it over and over and over again. So you can see this pattern here that the people are murmuring. So this is now they're listening to the wrong voice, right? They're listening to Satan's whisperings, and originally they got the whole. Oh, Moses just wanted to get us out here to kill us for want of food, right? To hunt, like, we're just going to starve you to death. Yeah, we're going to go through all that work. We're going to come this far just to come this far. And we're going to kill you now. That's what we wanted to do. We wanted to just take a million people and kill you outside of Egypt. Like what? That's not even, like, why would he go through all that trouble, right? Okay. And so then, of course, it doesn't even make sense what they're murmuring about, right? If they actually logically thought through it. And then, but that's what murmuring is. It's not logical. Anyway, so then now they're having that same lines except changing the um, hunger to water or thirst, right? So it's the same thing over and over. And it's not, there's no solution in there. There's. It's just a complaint. It's just negative. It's just fear inducing. It's just, it. It doesn't move anyone forward. And so anyway, like that's totally something that is being fed by uh, like, like Satan is feeding them this and they are just um, putting a voice to it, right? They're, they're listening to that voice, the wrong voice. And so um, it says then verse four, and Moses cried unto the Lord saying, what shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And yeah, it makes sense because they're so thirsty, right? And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people and take with thee of the elders of Israel and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel." And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel. And because they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Okay. Remember the brother of Jared and how he needed to bring stones so that those stones could be turned into light? Well, how come Moses didn't have to bring something and the Lord instead told him where to go and where to find the water. You know, there's different times in our lives. I don't think that he loves one people more than another. Um, and I don't think he was trying to show preference. Um, but I think that the Lord has different moments for us in our lives where one moment we might need to be taught a specific thing and he's going to provide the way. And then uh, all, like all on his own. And then there's going to be another moment in our life where we need to start thinking and we need to bring ideas to the Lord. And then the Lord will make our ideas enough to make his miracles happen in our lives. And so we just need to remember, like, it's like, uh, uh I also like the other talk that <laughs> where he talked about the Lord is not a vending machine. You can't just put up a prayer and come out your blessings. Like, that's not how the Lord works. He wants you st- He wants us to have a relationship with him. And I think because, and this is just now me, mom talking, Like I think because they were so um, driven by the Egyptians and they were given everything um, to do and everything not to do by the Egyptians and they had just been being slaves for so long that the Lord was showing this compassion towards them and that's why he wasn't um, requiring so much from them except just uh, just obey these three steps, you know, just do this and you'll be blessed, you know. And and so I think sometimes it's nice. Well, and I think this also shows like because they were so young in the gospel, right? Like that's kind of what I was, I would picture them. They were they were young in the gospel. And so when we're young in the gospel, like what, like I just picture like, what do we want our children to do? You know, when we're helping our children do family home evening, we're like the ones in charge of family home evening when they're little, you know, and as they grow older, we might let them read some stuff. And then slowly as they get a little bit older, we'll let them share a picture or tell us what the picture's about and for their lesson. And then as they continue to grow older, then, you know, step-by-step, line-upon-line, right? And so I think because of that, that's why the Lord was um, being super merciful and compassionate and patient with them, although they were being kind of naughty and, you know, like kids are, and complaining all the time and murmuring. And so I think that's cool how the Lord was able to You know, just kind of teach them little by little and not necessarily strike anyone down because of why they were complaining. Um, And I think it also goes to show for us in our lives, like, where are we in our faith journey? And the Lord is going to know where we're at and how to uh, guide us and how to help us come unto him. Because he's not going to force us. and so he's going to help us and he's going to lead us and guide us. So I, and he's going to show us that same compassion. And so here's some commentary from, from Redheaded Hostess. Have you ever taken a youth group on a long hike and worried about them having the proper amount of water? Imagine providing water for over a million people and a, on a 40-year journey. Lack of water was a repeated problem for them. And each time it was an opportunity for them to turn to the Lord or turn to murmuring. Here, in verse one, they are they were once again without water, and the people chided with Moses, and chided means to scold at to utter words in anger, so they were like yelling at him. Moses' response was, "Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? The Lord had provided again and again, but na- but how quickly they lost hope. Give us water, they said, but they said it not through faith but through anger which i totally can picture this um because we have kids so it makes so i can see that as they were thirsty they murmured the situation tested them and they accused moses of bringing them out of egypt to kill them of thirst moses responded it moses's response is understandable he cried unto the lord and said what shall i do unto this people they be almost ready to stone me um I also think it's interesting that uh the Lord can bring forth water from the stones from the stones and can with the rod can also part the water so he had to bring the rod cuz the rod needed to help him with the stone and the water but then also how the stone could be turned to light cuz that was what the brother of Jared did with his stones that he brought. And so, so, and it has to do with the rod, right? With the, the rod could part the water. The rod could get the water from the stone and the stones can actually be another conduit for the Lord because, and this like for light and for water, you know, like thirst and, seeing a path. Um, I am kind of seeing this pattern, like the Lord's trying to show us, like, first of all, that he's the one that controls all the elements. Okay. Um, and then second of all that, and it's because he created them all. Right. But then second of all is that he is the living water. And so he can, he's using that to be symbolic. Like I can provide water for you. I'm the living water and you'll never thirst. And then also I am the light and the way, right? And so he's providing that through the stones. Anyway, I think it's really cool um, to think about the Book of Mormon and the similarities here from the Israelites journey versus the Nephites journey. So it's pretty cool. And then there's a quote by Neil, Elder Neil A. Maxwell. It says, murmurers have short memories. <laughs> Israel arrived in Sinai, then journeyed on the Holy, La- Holy Land, though they were sometimes hungry and thirsty. But the Lord rescued them, whether by the miraculous appearance by quail or by water struck from a rock. Strange, isn't it? Brothers and sisters, how those with the shortest memories have the longest lists of demands. However, with no remembrance of past blessings, there is no perspective about what is really going on. Oh, I love that. And that's like such a great quote for like gratitude. Um, Yeah, these people needed to remember and be grateful because when we're grateful and we live in that space of gratitude instead of that space of want, then we don't want, you know? Um, or if we do want, we want different things that help to progress. Um, Israel want, wanted a stone. Wait, sorry. It says Israel wanted to stone Moses, which shows that the people were truly angry. They were not just grumbling, but they were wanting to lash out at Moses and even cause him harm. So they were seeing themselves as victims. First of all, like not cool. Um, that's what dad would call that below the line. (laughs) And when we see ourselves as victims, we can't find solutions we can 't see solutions in our path um, and instead, we see what is being done to us instead of what's being done for us and so it says, so they were really they were like likely really thirsty and therefore being tested by the Lord. Um, The Lord once again directed Moses to a miracle. He instructed him to take his rod and smite the rock and water would come out of it. And so Moses did. He always did exactly as the Lord commanded. And he did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Then once this miracle occurred and their thirst was now quenched and the water was flowing before them. excuse me. Moses asked the question that should have pierced many hearts. Is the Lord among us or not? You know, and yeah, it does. And it, it it that question does pierce your heart. And here's some more questions. How can we how can you be prepared for such moments like this where your faith will be tested? And do you think you would have murmured? What can you learn from this? What water is flowing in your life? What evidence is there that the Lord is among you? Now, I don't know how far they were from water because I don't know any kind of geography over there. But I'd like to think that because I'm like kind of a problem solver, I love thinking of problems and solving them in unique ways, especially if I want to make them into a business. (laughs) I was, I'd probably be like, well, let's go find water. You know, like we can't find water. Let's go find water and then we'll go sell it to everybody. You know, like maybe like that's probably what I would have thought of doing. Um, <laughs> of course then Moses would show up and be like, just kidding. Here's the, all the water from the rock, you know, and then our business would have kind of gotten under, but <laughs> Or maybe we would collect some vases and jars and, and keep the water in case there was also like another time when the water was lacking. And then we would have the water that's called food storage. And that's what they tell us to do here. Um, and who knows if that's what we would have done or if we would have had the space to to have that cuz i mean carrying water is heavy and if you've ever been on a hike like you know that you're like i want to bring all the water with me and then you put it on your back and you're like just kidding i am only going to bring a tiny water bottle like and then of course you're dying of thirst cuz you brought a tiny water bottle and so so yeah these people like needed needed water and they needed the lord and it's just kind of cool to see the parallels in our own lives, right? Okay, then verse 8. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose out choose us out men and go out fight with Amalek tomorrow. I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek and Moses, Aaron and her went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let it down his, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Oh great. Poor Moses had to like, keep his hands up remember this but Moses's hands were heavy and they took a stone yeah no wonder like no joke his hands would be heavy like have you tried doing arm circles how long can you do them for so just try and stand this would be like a cool activity just try and stand there with a rod in your hand like as long as possible and keep them up in the air see which person in your family could keep them up and whoever can keep them up the longest that person uh could get a reward or a prize or a dessert. Um. Anyways, so it says, <laughs> um, verse 13, and Joshua dis- discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi. For he said, because the Lord hath sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek for generation to generation. Okay, so some commentary. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel. The surrounding nations desired to destroy Israel, either out of fear or out of desire to take their spoils. So now, well, because remember they took a bunch of stuff from Egypt, right? So now Israel must also be an army. So they had to become warriors. Hello, And just as the Lord provided food and water for them in miraculous ways, the Lord strengthened the army through another miracle. As Moses stretched forth his hands, his army was strengthened. But if his hands failed, the enemy prevailed. So Moses looked to Aaron and her to hold up his hands. President Ezra Taft Benson likened this story to us sustaining and holding up the Lord's servants today. After sharing this story, he said, so will we be victorious as we hold up the arms of the Lord's anointed servants? April 1986 General Conference. Josephus said, nor was any of the Hebrews slain, but the slain of the enemy's army were too many to be numbered. Oh, man, that would be so crazy. Like, also, yeah, like this, there's a picture here. It says Moses's hands held up. Whew. And it's by Dalziel's Bible Gallery, 1865 to 1881. Anyway, it's a picture of Moses with Aaron and uh her holding up his hands. And they all look super old. <laughs> so you, I could just picture like these old guys trying to hold each other up, dude. <laughs> it's kind of a funny scene, you know, but like, how come it was just those two? Like, could we get anybody else to come help the prophet, you know, and these other old, old guys, like his counselors, come on, we need help. And I love that um, anytime on Twitter, whenever I listen to conference, I can see like the feed and kind of the feeling of like the Twitter congregation, you know, Twitter stake we call ourselves. And sometimes you get like weird people making some not cool comments and that don't really support the or sustain the general authorities, which is weird because you're like, well, why are you even listening to conference if you don't even think what they're saying is valuable? Like like anyway. And like go spend time doing something else, okay, if you don't if you don't agree with it. Um, but hey, you know, it's all good. And so but then there's other people who actually post awesome uplifting comments and who I can tell sustain the leaders and when those people are doing that I feel sustained I feel uplifted um because I and I can feel strengthened so when we um align ourselves with the Lord and with the prophet we in turn can be lifted by the lifting that we do the Lord helps us to do that lifting And I, I just love that. And especially like when we're being positive and, you know, like the prophet loves each one of us, even if he doesn't know each one of our names and, but it's through Christ that he does. And so the only reason why he's doing those things that he's doing and saying the things he's saying is because the Lord is telling him to. And if the Lord's telling him to, it's because it's going to be good for us. And if it's going to be good for us, then why can't we help him out? You know, it's like Jerry Maguire help me help you, you know, help the prophet, help us. So sustain your leaders and help them help each one of us. Um, even if, even if it might require a little bit more work on our part. Right. And so anyways, um, that is the end of our reading. And one of the pictures here is, um, Moses parting the Red Sea and when Faust saw it on the table um, because we had the little schedule printed out he was like he gasped audibly whoa so cool like that and I was sad that I missed the front of his face but I was glad that I could hear the his excitement over over it so um, anyway this picture is again from Heidi Carter and this is what she says about the the painting she says mortality is a proving and testing ground where we where, where we are meant to have circumstances in our lives that try us and have us literally or metaphorically up against impossible or impassable barriers these times are for us These trials and tribulations are times when we can ask our Savior and Heavenly Parents for deliverance, for divine intervention. We benefit when we ask for this deliverance with a belief that the Red Seas in our lives will be removed if they are meant to be. Moses was only able to part the waters because this was the plan of God. The Israelites were slaves for hundreds of years before the time of deliverance had come. Oh man, that's so true. Be reminded of that. Um, We always talk about how moses could create miracles in their lives but sometimes we forget that they were <laughs> slaves for so long right and sometimes we feel enslaved for so long um the lord that continuing the quote the lord was with them every step of the way even while we wait in the even while we wait to be delivered from our tribulations, the savior can strengthen us amidst the trials. He can deliver us from fear, hopelessness, discouragement, and limiting beliefs that we can't go on. When we believe and have faith in the deliverer, he proves his power throughout the whole journey. So true. Um, and then Elder Kyle S. McKay from 2019 General Conference, he says, I bear witness that Jesus Christ is the great deliverer. And in his name, I promise that as you turn to him with real intent and full purpose of heart, he will deliver you from everything that threatens to diminish or destroy your life or joy. And then Doctrine and Covenants over here. Um, eight verse three says, now behold, this is the spirit of revelation. Behold, this is the spirit by which Moses brought the children of Israel through the Red sea on dry ground remember that and they specify dry because it would seem that it would have been soggy based on being on the bottom of the Red Sea and everything but anyways I love you thanks for showing up and we will hear from you again soon